0: listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa.
1: Hey, folks. Thanks for being here.
0: Today, we're talking about revenue marketing. We believe that today's CEOs and boards are demanding marketing teams to prove how the marketing investment is contributing to the sales and revenue growth.
1: And to help us out with that topic today, we have Jeff Risley, Chief Growth Officer of Saxum an issues-obsessed agency delivering strategic campaigns and digital solutions for this changing world that we're living in. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time today, and welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you, Lisa and Carlos. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, Jeff, before we jump into the topic, one little thing we like to do, and we ask all our guests right at the beginning, it's kind of our little warm-up question to help us understand you a little bit better. What is something you are passionate about that those that only know you through business would be surprised to know? Yeah, I love this question.
2: It would be for me that I'm a fly fisherman. I am an avid fly fisherman. I love doing it. And it's a little bit like marketing. Here's how, it's not really mindless. It requires, (laughs) you know, planning and thinking and skill. And you know what, when it pays off and you actually catch fish, you know, it feels great. Another reason why I am an avid fly fisherman is because I fly fish for trout primarily, and trout do not live in ugly places. So it's it's a great way to get out in the outdoors. So that's my thing, Carlos.
1: <laughs> Those trout have really good taste, do they? <laughs> and
2: they must. They must.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's great. That's, that's a fantastic uh, hobby gets you outside, gets you enjoying the outdoors and some peace and quiet and something I also have to say I relate to. So to jump in though, tell us a little bit about Saxon, like what you do there and sort of your journey to get to this point in your career. That would be a great start.
2: Okay. Well, so Saxum is, as you said, an an integrated marketing agency, obsessed for good. And so, what we mean by that, first of all, integrated agencies, right? We do public relations, public affairs, advertising, media, you know, the whole nine yards, digital, all under one roof. And we think about it in terms of paid, earned, and owned strategies for our clients. The obsessed for good part is very much about our positioning and our culture. We're here to do more than just make money. And we wanna help our clients do more than just make money. We feel like Obsessed for Good is meaningful and measurable change in the world. So this is near and dear to my heart. I've been in the marketing communications business for 30 years. I've worked on the agency side, worked on brand side, B2B, B2C. And I love that we are so focused on purpose. Purpose is a big deal for a lot of consumers these days. And we've been doing it for, you know, the 20 years of our uh, existence. So that's Saxon. That's how I got there. A little side note, I'm a KU Hawk, So go Hawks, national champions. <laughs> I am still riding that high too. So thanks for letting me slip that in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug, eh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I love that. That um, mission for good sounds fantastic. And when we talk about revenue marketing, because I know that's that's really our subject today, What are we exactly talking about? For the audience, can you describe it for us?
2: You bet. So Lisa, revenue marketing is, it's a solution we offer to our clients that want to build really think three things, sustainable, predictable, provable revenue generation. So typically what I've seen throughout my career is that organizations really don't know what parts of their marketing are actually making a difference And driving sales, they spend a lot of money on it, but don't necessarily think about how they connect it to sales. So there's no way to, to actually fuel a consistent growth, because they don't know where to double down. So revenue marketing has, you know, a series of components to it that help you do that. And we just feel it's super important today. I mean, CEOs don't care just about awareness and consideration and all the things as marketers we think about. They want to know, did my investment impact my revenue growth? That's why I love the title of your uh, podcast, because this is perfect for that kind of thing. We think very much alike that way.
1: That's amazing. And I just got asked that question literally yesterday yesterday. Like hmm. I, it was a startup company. I was to very early days. They have like four paying customers, and he was like, "Where do I put my budget? Do I hire someone to do outbound prospecting, or do I run an ad campaign?" And me not being a marketer, I was kind of like, "That's a great question. You need to talk to Jeff." No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it is it's obviously a struggle and, and particularly when you think about, I mean, in every organization, but particularly when you think about startups who have to make the decision, they only have so much budget to use to get to that next level. So what is going to be the biggest impact they can have with that, that investment? So I, I love that idea. And I know that like something that's come up a lot over the last uh, well, long, longer than just a few years is how customer demands have changed. And how does that work? kind of tie into the way you think about revenue marketing and making it successful?
2: Yeah, exactly, Lisa. So I, definitely in my career, they have changed dramatically. And mostly buyers today, whether they're B2C or B2B, they're looking for relevance, authenticity, and purpose from their brands, especially Gen Z, the youngest buyers today. And so we tend to think about things in terms of your target audience. And to be authentic and purpose-driven for them, brands today need to think about, hey, all your stakeholders, not just your shareholders. You gotta stand for something hopefully something good as a brand, you need to focus on impact. What is the impact you're making in the world? Because that impact is something that consumers are going to be looking for. We're big on what we call liberating our leaders. It's our, our methodology for leadership development. And that makes a huge difference on the work and the output that brands have. And And we just feel like today, the consumers have a much higher bar. They have a higher bar for brands in terms of what they stand for, what they're doing in the world, and the impact they're making. And that's just on the purpose side. Then on the interaction side, basically, Amazon, Google, Apple, everybody else has set a new standard for what it's like to now interact with a brand. Even if you're a B2B buyer, you expect simplicity. You expect it to be personalized. You don't want to be interrupted necessarily. So, The bar is really high for marketers today. And if you're not thinking about your target audience and how they view an interaction with you, you're totally missing the boat.
0: All right, Jeff. I want to get a little more granular because I'm really curious. So help me understand a little bit or our audience understand a little bit. How do we determine whether it's the email marketing campaign I send out, the BDR calling them as part of that cadence, following that email, our website that they went and looked at because they got the email and thought, hey, what's all this about? I'm kind of curious. How do you determine what's generating the revenue versus what's not, what's more effective? Is that a fair question? It
2: is, and it's what clients ask us. The answer is you have to begin and end with your buyer and we always start by understanding them inside and out you know researching them quant and qual understanding you know data analysis to see how they interact in general And then from there, we think about their buying journey. So we're big into developing personas and journey maps for clients. Before we even get to the question you asked, Carlos, which is where most clients wanna go, tell me the tactics, how do I get to them? If we can get them to invest in that research and building that persona and journey map, we now know what motivates them and when they will most likely be acceptable of our messages. And so we are trying to find in our go-to-market planning, those particular strategies and tactics. I can tell you the best way to think about it is some combination of paid, earned, and owned. So you're always going to have those elements present in different degrees if you actually wanna get an omni-channel approach to reaching those people. So for example, Sachs and ourselves, we actually you know eat our own cooking, we follow revenue marketing. We actually have a go-to-market plan that has ongoing paid campaigns. We do earned media and we have an SDR that is doing a lot of the work you're talking about up front. And all of that is coordinated. And the way we know how to put money on the things that are working is because of our marketing technology stack. If you don't have a CRM, marketing automation tools, and website and social content management systems connected, you'll never know if the tweet we sent out actually led to a potential deal that closed. So all of those analytics and metrics are what help us you know, decide where we're going to put our effort. And then we can tell our clients, look, you do the same thing for you. That's how we help you guys decide whether to hire an SDR or do a paid search campaign or a, a, you know, a Facebook paid campaign. All of that comes after you do that kind of upfront work. Does that answer the question, Carlos?
0: It does. So it sounds like, hey, first, I need to understand who buys Yep. and why they buy. And then kind of like, you know, how they buy, right? So if you think about their buyer's journey. And we are good with that. We, we talk a lot about that ourselves as well. Is there any recommendations on what we should be measuring across these systems and what kind of outcomes we might be you know, expecting? Yeah, definitely.
2: So we're looking at – think of it in three buckets. There's program metrics, right? So is my outbound email campaign – what are the open rates – What are the click-through rates? You know, what are the number of people that are hitting my landing pages? This is all related to the program we're executing. That also means conversion rates. I mean, all of those metrics that we as marketers love that the CEOs could care less about. But the next bucket is really about profitability. So if we can demonstrate how these things drive closed sales... And the profitability of that new client or new customer then is the next kind of bucket we think about metric-wise. And then the last one is lifetime value. We're big believers in lifetime value over time. I mean, I know I have got a great lifetime value, say, with Starbucks or State Farm Insurance. And that's powerful both for the consumer and for the marketer because you have to treat different customers differently. So those are the buckets we think about, Carlos, and then there's just dozens of metrics within those. And then we generally land on a few KPIs that we want to hit within each one of those buckets that'll do the most to show us we're driving sales.
0: Do you end up getting into the argument of kind of chicken and egg? Hey, was it this that drove this that drove that, or was it the other way around? Do you end up getting into those types of more theory conversation behind the scenes, or... Does the tech stack really help you
2: prove it? Tech stack helps you prove it. You don't. You have way less of those discussions with clients because the data is right there. I mean, multi-touch attribution shows you the things that contributed to that particular sale or that particular deal or that particular action, whatever it may be. It might not be a sale. It might be a vote. It might be a show up in an event. Those are all out there.
0: Don't have that Martech stack. Man, we're constantly debating those things. Well, that's kind of leading to my next question, because Lisa and I and others on our team always get, you know, I got a question about content management recommendation the other day. Do you all, you know, have a and you don't have to tell me what it is on this podcast, but do you have mm-hmm. a recommended tech stack where you know it works together and it communicates better so you can get the useful data at the end of the day?
2: Oh, man. Great question. There are thousands and thousands of tools out there now for marketers. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to answer this the long question, a long way. Do you guys remember the One to One Future by Peppers and Rogers? It was a book that came out in 1992 that convinced me that marketing can actually be very one to one driven. We can get there. They foresaw CRM, and so all of that has been developing over the last, you know couple of decades into thousands of tools. So to answer your question, you've got to go through an analysis yourself. We help clients do this, to find the tools that are gonna work best for you. But I'll say up front, we're big HubSpot fans. We're a HubSpot partner. HubSpot, to me, is one of the best tools for CRM, marketing automation. They have a website content management system, so you can build websites in it. Very easy to use because adoption's difficult sometimes with salespeople and marketing people. So we're big HubSpot fans. But I'm also very familiar and have used Salesforce and Pardo and, or Pardot, whatever you want to call it, Marketo. And I've also established, put in place, you know, Microsoft 360. So we've used their dynamics. So all of them, those are the big three probably. And then there's dozens of smaller ones that you could use after that.
0: Yeah, there, and there's also seems to be, I was just talking about an, with another uh, sales operations leader today. The There's also consolidation, right? Hey, the mm-hmm. content management guys, hey, they're trying to get the, do the sales enablement side. Sales enablement yes. guys, are trying to do the content management side. And then you worry about all these different integration points. So I, I think customers struggle, hey, do I have the right tools in place? Which tools should I have? And they all sound good. In fact, they all sound like they, you know, it, it sounds like it's going to take you 10,000 tools just to do one thing sometimes. It does, but I think you're right.
2: You can, you can get it dialed in these days to one, maybe two. I mean, we're only using a few at this point as an agency for our clients. So most brands can pr- pretty much land on one or two.
0: Okay. So not being granular, Lisa and I also believe, and we were talking about this as this uh, podcast was coming up, and we're big believers that marketing and sales really need to be in lockstep to optimize revenue. Yes. What are some of your thoughts and what have you seen out there that works and doesn't work? Totally agree, Carlos. You know, our clients
2: that are doing revenue marketing the best are when marketing and all of the ops are in sync with sales and all of the ops. It gets very dicey the larger the organization gets. The smaller organizations naturally do this and our revenue marketing solution really drives this. It sets it up to align those two divisions. What I found is when there's a chief revenue officer that oversees both, you have got a better shot at making sure those two are syncing because it's in that person's best interest that they do so. In those organizations where marketing and sales are still separate and report up to different, like maybe a CMO and then a, you know a, a sales leader, it can be a little more difficult. We have to align incentives too. I mean, I'm a big believer that marketing people should also be incentivized by by closed deals, not just by conversion rates and lead gen, because we're all in, nothing happens unless somebody sells something. We got to get that happening. And our job as marketers is to help that sales team by giving them the best chance to close it. And so it's, we've got to align those two things or most, you, you get dead dead tech stacks you get you know data that's not useful and you're always going to struggle in actually getting closed deals so big believer yes
0: kind of continuing that thought cuz as as you were talking I was thinking about we, we work with a lot of SaaS companies okay and you know if you think about it it's, uh, you know traditionally it's like a, a line hey marketing generates helps generate that top of funnel sales helps close it oh yeah And then services and customer success services them. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that initial sale is just the beginning in a SaaS model. If you truly want to have a flywheel, it's really a circle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, once you do that initial land, if you will, you got to make them happy and satisfied. So they actually use the product. So they'll actually renew with you and give you that expansion opportunity. Does the customer success and services side of the equation kind of fall into your whole revenue optimization. Absolutely.
2: We actually think about it in terms of that flywheel that you just mentioned. And we also think about it in terms of delivery. So in the in the customer journeys that we put together for clients, we take it all the way through delivery if they will allow us to, because we agree with you that the delivery of whatever it is, SaaS is really clear cut, but think about some of these companies out there that aren't selling products; it's a service. I mean, like a professional mm-hmm. service firm like us, we have to use uh, customer satisfaction data to see whether or not this client is, you know, potentially going to renew with us. You know, we we track all kinds of things there and try to get our clients to track that as well because that will impact profitability and lifetime value, no question. And there's a point at which. That customer or client is always looking for an exit if they're not happy. And you can, if you don't see that coming, you're not going to be able to head it off. So, the good news is a lot of these tech stacks integrate the customer service side of things. You know, I know HubSpot actually has a whole suite of customer service. So now I can see a universal picture. Salesforce has the same thing of that particular client. And One version of the truth is what I'm looking for here so that I can actually then head off the things that you were just talking about.
0: As you're working on those buyer journeys, one of the things to think about at the end, I I try to remind our clients, whether it's a product or a service, go live or install is not the end. Yeah. In other words, just because you went live doesn't mean that you actually had that impact, that result, that value expectation that you set up at the beginning. It's if you can finish off with that, that's what really gets that flywheel going to the next step. Because sometimes I think we just stop short. We got it up and running.
2: Yeah, totally. No, you're right, Carlos. (laughs) Totally. B2B is that way, for sure. SaaS products, for sure. I've had some great experience with SaaS providers. I mean, I'll I'll give a shout out to Zoom Info. We're, we're in users of Zoom Info. They had an amazing onboarding process. I mean, it was great. And, you know, contrast that with some others that we've used before, and it's, it's just not. So it makes a huge difference in the way we feel. It makes a big difference in recommendation. Heck, I just called out Zoom Info here as having a great onboarding experience. And people won't do that unless they have that experience. So I think you're absolutely right. Its that a value-based outcome at the
0: end that makes all the difference totally all right one more is there a example of a marketing team an organization that you feel like hey they're doing it right and they're getting the outcomes that they expect that y- you would you know point out to us
2: yes, and it's not one of our clients. I would love them to be a client <laughs> but um, I'm a huge fan of all birds you guys familiar with all birds yeah. a shoe company yeah. right? Me too. Gonna own more. And because Mm -hmm. (laughs) of several things, they unite, in my mind, purpose and revenue marketing. They're completely purpose-driven. Their whole thing is about developing the most sustainable shoe on the planet. And they do an amazing job. Sustainability is core to their brand. On top of that, once their experience with them is great. I mean, from finding them to being able to uh, interact and learn more about the products, to then moving me through consideration and ultimately to a purchase. And then to your point, Carlos, about the exchange is amazing. The way you buy the product, the way it comes packaged to you is really cool, much like Apple's, but way more sustainable. And then the customer service afterwards. And then the the touch points I get as a customer from Allbirds is really amazing. So on point, they know what shoe I bought. They're making recommendations on other types of shoes that I might like. So I think Allbirds has got it dialed in. I don't know what their tech stack is, but I guarantee they've got one and their marketing team's doing a great job.
0: One of my clients visited uh, me for a fly fishing trip, by the way, Jeff. Ah. So we could talk offline Okay, And he bragged about Allbirds so much that i went out and bought a couple pairs. wow so his you know i'm just this is not intended to be a commercial for no old, no no but i know i will tell <laughs> you that I, I he talked about it so much but we will accept your sponsorship he <laughs> talked about it so much that it got me to buy them and uh so far I've, I've been really happy with the product it's been great yeah word of mouth still works by the way still works
1: <laughs> yep yeah. Yep. That's a, actually, I heard about them through their return app. They use ah. a, re, a returns app on their Shopify store. I think it's called loop. And I entered a contest with loop and they actually intentionally send you the wrong size so that you have to go through the return process and experience oh my it gosh. with their app. So, and it was fantastic. <laughs> So, Lisa, yeah. that's
2: cool. That's right? a cool story, Lisa.
1: That's, yeah, I thought that was like exceptional marketing for and and again, it's like they partner with Allbirds, but it was the app company that thought of it, and uh, I just thought, oh, it was fantastic. And so, and I got a free pair of Allbirds that, yeah, Bonus. I love. Yeah, exactly. Love that story. Amazing. So. Switching gears really quickly here, Jeff, because we we ask a couple of questions of every guest towards the end of our interviews. And uh, as a revenue executive, as a chief growth officer, you get prospected to all the time. So we're curious, what actually captures your attention and builds credibility enough for you to reply?
2: Oh, great question. Three things. The first one, uh, a great cold email. I think cold emails are super effective When the headline is really relevant and human and addresses a pain point, it'll get me to open it and then I'll start reading the headline or start reading the copy and it's absolutely human. That to me makes a great difference. I'm a big believer in cold email. We use it ourselves. Plus, I I enjoy receiving those emails when they relate to my pains and problems. The second one, helpful content. I'm not just going to say content helpful content. So whether it's an ebook, a video, some content that's 75% about me, 25% about the brand, I am totally fine with. And I learn a ton. I stay on the edge by reading a lot of this content. Because if you think about the people who are marketing to me as a marketing executive, they are way out in front. They know what's going on in the world. And so their helpful content is great. I would say the last thing more as a consumer, you know, myself, Instagram ads. Instagram ads are killer right now. The ones that can anticipate what I'm thinking about and buying, present enough information to me that I'll actually want to click through and check it out, and then the the ones that have amazingly seamless buying, you know, interactions are great. In fact, I have a new rule now. I cannot use Instagram. I cannot buy in bed. That is my rule because you can sit there and it's so easy with an Instagram ad.
1: Face, face ID. Will, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's right. <laughs> so no more buying in bed. You have to at least get up and make sure that, Hey, yes, I really want to spend on this because it's so the interaction. So amazing.
1: Yep. Oh, well that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm the same way. I can't, uh, I, I make myself get up and research it a little more before, <laughs> before, before I'm just like face ID purchased. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. I don't want to limit myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Hey, Jeff, uh, one last question. You call yeah. it this acceleration insights. At least we try mm-hmm. to do at the end of each of these. Mm-hmm. What might be one thing you would like to share with the audience that would help them in hitting their targets as, as they look at this whole idea of revenue marketing? And What might that be and why? What's that one takeaway you'd love to t- everyone to take away from this? Yeah, I I love the acceleration insight. Great idea.
2: I would say it kind of bookends, Carlos, what I started with. Begin and end with the buyer. Don't skip the research. Don't skip the data mining, the persona mapping, and the journey mapping. Marketing is ultimately about connecting with these buyers. And if you haven't done that work, you're really not going to connect with them. You're going to expose yourself to them, you're going to throw things at them, but you're not going to connect with them. And so that would be my acceleration insight is begin and end with the buyer.
1: We love that. We talk about that a lot in our work. So that's fantastic. Perfect. So Jeff, if a listener is interested in talking to you more about these topics we touched on today, what's the best way you would like them to get in contact with you?
2: Great. Uh, yes, we actually have an ebook on revenue marketing. If people will go to bold.saxum.com forward slash revenue marketing, that is um, a book they can download that we wrote that that talks about this philosophy. And please tell me if it's seventy five percent helpful to you <laughs> and twenty five percent about us, because I want to know that. That's the way it was designed anyway. So thanks, Lisa. Yes, that's where I would send people.
1: Amazing. Okay, we will make sure that that is also linked in the podcast. Uh, Jeff, really can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Well, Lisa and Carlos, thank you. I really enjoy the conversation. Love uh, your guys' show and appreciate being asked on.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much again for being here. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your friends and family and coworkers and everyone and your dog. And do us a favor, if you love it, please throw us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. (laughs) Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success.
0: You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.